my name's Tony. It's, it's good to be here. I want to invite you to do something real quick. We've done it to all the services, so I've got to be fair to you too. I don't want to miss this. I want to invite you to take a look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Go ahead and look at him right in the face. Look at him right in the face. You knew God was going to ask you to do something difficult tonight, and there it is right there. Amen. <laughs> no, they're beautiful people, and you know that, man. I want you to look at them one more time. Look at them in the face, and I want you to say this. Look at them right in the face and say this. God loves what you're looking at, baby. Go ahead and tell them that. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, if there's one thing that I, that I know about this church and the 11 years that it's been alive here, is that that's their main goal, is that they want people to get it about that reality, that there's a God, his name is Jesus, and that he's crazy about you, and he wants to swallow you up in his love. And what a, what a great story. I, I did a tweet earlier, and I said, man, I'm, I'm in Vegas, and I've seen a lot of lights in Vegas, but I have yet to see one brighter than this church right here, this Hope Church right here. You guys are a bright light in darkness, and that's awesome stuff. I, um, I, I'd like to start like I did the other services. Uh, it's normally not a part of what I, I preach in this message, but I, I just think maybe because you don't know me, and I, I'd kind of like you to get to know me a little bit, um, just to kind of help us move along, I, I, I'd like to tell you just a little bit of my backstory. So uh, I just, just so you kind of, who's Tony? And, um, uh, and I'm just kind of a, one of you, I'm just Tony, I'm just a human. And, uh, but um, I, I was born in, um, in a mental institution. That's the caliber of people that Vance brings here to this church. God bless you. Amen. I uh, No, really, I was, uh, I, you're going, man, I got to listen to the crazy guy. I, I really was born in a mental institution, the son of a mentally insane homeless prostitute. And I was in McClinney, Florida, and I was abandoned at birth and uh, placed over into a, uh, a really whacked out uh, foster care system in Jacksonville, Florida. And for the first almost four years of my life, I suffered unimaginable abuse under the hands of some sick, twisted, perverted predators. And these people that were in the foster deer for all the wrong reasons, basically just to kind of get some money from the government, they, they, they would beat me all the time. They sexually molested me. They tortured me with burning cigarettes. You know, the Bible says that there's a devil and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he was definitely doing that in my life. And if I had to take a guess like the other two services today, I... I I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of you in here that could testify of how he's tried to destroy your life as well. Well, when I was uh, one month shy of being four years old, uh, Bob and Dottie Nolan adopted me. And for that, I'm incredibly indebted. I'm very, very grateful for them. And, and they adopted me for $200. I'm like a little Walmart special. Amen. What's up? Amen. That really, that's crazy. It's another story in and of itself, but I don't even know if I told Vance that story. But it, and I, I'm so grateful that they adopted me, brought me into their family. But, uh, but we, we, we were very impoverished, and we, we, we grew up in a, in a very rough neighborhood in Jacksonville, Florida, that, that's, that's called Sin City. Now, it's not like this. It's, it's, not, you know, it's, a, it's the opposite of the decadence of luxury and, and money here. It was, it was called Sin City because it's a ghetto, and not like ghetto like by tag or title, like kick you back to the ghetto, but like for real ghetto. I mean, I grew up in a, in a hell-raising, redneck, 
ghetto. I mean, it was just nuts. I, everybody drank and everybody fought. And I remember my next door neighbor getting a skull crushed in with a concrete block. They killed him. My cousin Oscar was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He got his head blown off with a double barrel sawed off shotgun. My cousin Jojo's boyfriend got shot through the back, came out of his heart right there on my, on my block. We had a motorcycle gang in my neighborhood called the Outlaws, pretty notorious group. A rival gang planted a bomb underneath the van that they used to go get groceries and blew them up. It was a rough place to grow up. But let me give you just a little news flash. We all live in a rough neighborhood. It's called Earth, and it's under a curse. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Why? Because the devil's wreaking havoc in it. Haven't you noticed? Is it just me, or does the world seem to be reaching a boiling point? So because he's just wreaking havoc. And my, uh, my neighborhood was pretty rough, but my home life was almost as terrorizing, not, not quite. I'd like to say that the good times outweighed the bad times, but the bad times were bad. We were impoverished. We were better off than a lot of other people in my neighborhood, but we were poor. And to cope with our poverty, my, my dad turned to alcohol. I don't know what you're turning to to handle your economic stresses, but my dad turned to booze. And that meant that he would get drunk, and that was almost on a daily basis. And, and when he'd get drunk, he'd get real violent, and he would pour that violence out on me. And more times than I care to remember, I recall my dad grabbing me by my shirt, pulling me into his face, and my mind's capacity to recall smells. I can still remember the, the smell of wild turkey whiskey on his breath, and he'd be spitting in my face and pulling me into his face, beating me, screaming at me, saying, you know what? You will never amount to anything in your life. Is this all $200 got me? Then he punctuated with this statement, I wish I would have never bought you. And that crushed me. That rejection was a major catalyst for me to live a very self-sabotaging lifestyle of massive alcohol and narcotic abuse. I just wanted to be numb. I wanted to anesthetize the fear of what I saw around me. I wanted to anesthetize the pain and the rejection and the hurt. But I came to a haunting realization, having started those drugs somewhere around 12 or 13 and into my 20s, I came to a haunting realization, and it was this. The highs never get stronger than the hurts, ever. I, I couldn't high my way out of my pain. And that caused me to wrestle with suicide. I thought there was no reason to live. After several different attempts, that ended up landing me in a mental institution myself in Goose Creek, South Carolina. And those were dark days in my life, horrifically dark days in my life. The devil stealing, killing, and destroying me. But I praise God that in the midnight of my life, someone who wasn't preoccupied with just going to church, but like Vance said earlier, he was, a, he was one that was sent. He was more concerned with being the church. He took the time to share with me the message of the gospel, the message of hope, the message of Jesus, which I needed to hear because the story that I was getting from the church was that this was a God club of all of the clean, good people, and I wasn't invited. I didn't fit in. That's the message that I received when I was a kid. We've got to change that message. Amen. That's what I was receiving, and I, I didn't think that I belonged. And then all of a sudden, somebody took the time to share with me the gospel, and then I came to this incredible reality that it's actually for all of us jacked up people. Amen. I was like, are you kidding me? You're, you're kidding. And then he blew my mind, and he shared that God died on the cross for me, was buried, and he rose again 
so that he could forgive me and that the God of the universe wanted to adopt me into his family. And I'm just telling you, February 24th, 1989, I repented of my sin, believed in Jesus, and Jesus Christ set this hurting sinner free. He set me free. Amen. That's why a while ago, when they were singing that song, I had both hands up in the air, brother, and just bouncing around like a wild man. Why? Because I've been set free. Amen. And it's just a delight and a privilege to be here and to be able to see today as a culmination of not just one guy coming in and, and sharing the word, but Man, that's crazy for somebody to think, but everybody's serving together from people that are serving with the children to people that serve in the parking lot to every area, man. I mean, God came together today and he, 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 he opened minds and, and people got it about God and some chains fell today and the broken were set free and it's such an incredible privilege to be here. And I just want to thank you. I, I, um, I've had a blast all day long. Somebody asked me if I was tired. I'm like, uh-uh, so y'all better hold on, Amen. And all this, it ain't caffeinated, baby. Amen. Uh, we're just going to go at it. I'm going to give you the title of tonight's message, and I want you to listen to it very carefully, okay? You've got to pay attention. I'm going to give you the title of tonight's message, and I want you to pay attention because I personally believe that it's intellectually profound. Vance is over there going, I've heard it a couple times, man, and it ain't. Amen. <laughs> no, I want you to listen carefully. Here it is. Are you ready? Here comes the title of tonight's message. The title is coming at you. Get ready because here comes the title. Listen carefully. It's coming at you. Here comes the title. Are you ready? It's coming at you. Listen carefully. Here comes the title. The title. <gasps> Amen. That's it. Somebody in the back is going, Mildred, what did he do, Barb? What was that? <laughs> Let me give it to you one more time just in case you missed it. <gasps> now, on the count of three, I would like for you to say with me the title of tonight's message. And listen, I want us to say it out loud together. And don't give me some sissy, I mean, come on, baby. This is Vegas. You guys can get it done. Are you ready? One, two, three. <laughs> that was powerful, wasn't it, Teddy? That was like as big as the first service this morning. Y'all are crazy, man. That's awesome. I know what you're thinking. You're going, you got to be thinking this. You got to be going, okay, Tony, time out. Boy, our brother got up here. Boy, he sang that song about Jesus saves. Well, that can help me to connect with God. But the prayers, boy, and watching Hannah get commissioned, boy, that, that was glorious. That, that can help me to, to connect with God. And, and then you get up there acting all goofy. <laughs> How can that remotely help me or anybody else here to connect with God? Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at three verses of Scripture. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay because we have an incredible, competent a media team, and they're going to put the verses up here on the screen, and you can just follow along. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. Let me set the stage before we dive in the scriptures. The setting is 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. A large crowd has converged at the foothill of the Mount of Olives, and they've gathered to listen to Jesus preach what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's closing that sermon out, and as he does, we find these verses. Listen to them carefully. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Look up at me. What is he saying? It's real simple. You don't get to heaven your way, sir. You don't get to heaven your way, ma'am. You don't get to heaven your way, young person. It's God's way or no way, period. 
And, and before you get upset about that, because we don't kind of like to receive that, we're like, get that off my neck, get that yoke off my neck. We don't like that. We kind of look to God like he's some kind of mean, egotistical, arrogant, like his way or the highway type thing. No, 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 no. You're not catching it right. No, listen, ever since the dawn of humanity, and you've got Cain and Abel offering up their different kinds of sacrifices, mankind has been trying to come up with their own way to have peace with God and to get into heaven. And as a result, we have all of these different ideologies. We have all of these different denominations. We have all of these different religions. And the God of the universe just sees all of us going in all of these different directions. And he, in an act of grace and mercy, is simply saying, listen, all of those ways, that's not it. It's my way. So it's really not him being hateful. It's him being very helpful. Do you see it? Now, verse 22. Why would he want to be helpful? Because of what can happen. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? First of all, what day is he talking about? Two things, what day is he talking about? Number one, he's talking about judgment day. Judgment day. Listen, it, it should be no foreign idea to any of us in this building, because this would be kind of, I mean, it's simply said in the raw, like a, a religious institution, a religious moment. It should be no foreign concept to us in that kind of a context that, that there's going to be a judgment day deal. I mean, a, a lot of religions talk about that. They, they kind of have that in a part of their, their DNA. As a matter of fact, you can go to the pyramids in Egypt, and you can see hieroglyphics of people standing before a great deity, giving an account of their life before a great deity. Well, what, what's going on in all that? Listen, it's just clear. That's Listen, that's God's truth. All truth is God's truth. That's God's truth. See, it's in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, Revelation chapter 20. It's very, very clear. One day, just as sure as you're sitting there right now listening to me, listen to me, you've got a date with destiny, and one day you're literally, you can argue with me till you're blue in the face. It's not going to change the fact. God's word stands. You literally will stand before God, and you're going to give an account of your life before God. That's where these people find themselves. And listen to what they say. Did you see it? We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonders. Or it could be translated, we've done miracles in your name. <laughs> wow. Could, could you imagine if that was like your profile on Facebook? Huh? I mean, man, that's like, that's just like, I'm dr just dripping with spirituality. It's just like soaked and saturated with all that God's, I mean, you would think that God would look at these people and be like, look at you. You got all that God swag going on. Look at you. I mean, come on in. You know, heaven wasn't heaven till you got here. Come on. Come on in. Look at all that you've got going on. That's incredible. But is that what God says? No, look at verse 23, and we hear what he says, and it's not funny at all. It's frightening. Verse 23, it says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment what might be these people's response to God having heard those words come out of the mouth of God directed toward them. I'm thinking that it might be something sort of like, 
Yeah, you see, I call these people the most shocked people in all of the Bible. So why do you call them shock preacher? Because I think that they thought they were in. I think that they thought for sure they're going into heaven. And you might accuse me right here of, of, of a big old gas conjuncture or something. And, but wait, 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 time out. Who else would have the audacity to stand before God on judgment day and pontificate such a spiritual elite resume except for someone who thought for sure they were in? Only now to hear the antithesis, they're not, they're not going to make it. They're not going to heaven. They're going to hell. Sure, a humorous title for a sermon, but what a horrifying eternity for a soul. You came here tonight for a bunch of different reasons. If we were to look at all of the reasons of why people came on a big old giant pie chart, there'd be a slice of that that would represent people that came here tonight because somebody's been inviting you for a long time and you kept saying no, kept saying no, and finally you said, okay, yes, I'll do it, just get off my back. Others of you, you came tonight because your spouse has said, no, come on, come on. You said you were going to come. You said you are going to come. And now you've, you've lived up because you said yes. And so now you're living out your yes and you're here. Uh, others of you are, are here because maybe, you know, a neighbor invited you and it's just a nice thing to do. So you came. Some of you might be here because, you know, a, a business client invited you to come and it just makes good business sense to acquiesce to the invitation. So you're here. We all have different reasons of why we came. But I have to believe that for all of us here, there has to be one part of that pie that represents, even though if the, 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 the part of it is very small, a very tiny slither, I have to believe that one of the reasons you came here tonight was because you want to hear from God. We want to hear from God. And listen to me, God's got something to say. And it comes in the form of a question. And I want you to listen to it carefully. And by the way, before I give you this question, I want us to rewind just for a moment. Remember Judgment Day? I'm going to stand before God on Judgment Day too. And as a teacher, I'm going to receive a stricter judgment. What am I trying to say? This question I'm about to give you, it's not just filler for a message. It's not just, you know, that it makes a good subpoint under a subpoint for, for a sermon. No, listen. I'm asking this question because I'm convinced deep in my bones as an ordained, called by God minister that the God of the universe has sent me here because he wants to ask you this question and I'm so confident that he wants to ask it that I'm okay standing before him on judgment day giving account of this question. Listen to it and listen to it carefully. Do you know for certain, sir? Do you know for certain, ma'am? Do you know for certain, young person? Listen, that these verses are not about you. And time out before you give me your very quick Americanized, Westernized, in some cases Christianese answer. Don't, don't treat that question irreverently. Don't push back on that question. Don't, don't treat this question or these verses flippantly. Why? Because listen to me, there is a supernatural spiritual phenomenon going on in this text that we don't find in a whole lot of other sections in Scripture. There is a major, when somebody says, man, that's, that's a move of God. 
There is no question. Listen, there is a supernatural spiritual phenomenon that was going on 2,000 years ago when Jesus was speaking this. And the same supernatural spiritual phenomenon is actually happening right now in this moment as I'm preaching to you today. You say, well, preacher, what in the world is that dynamic that is so powerful that it merits me actually entertaining this question and doing business with this question? That makes this question serious and applicable to me. There's a television show that can help us out right here. Listen carefully. The show is called Early Edition. Early Edition. Uh, You may have never heard of that show, but that's fine. I could catch you up to the meta-narrative as I've done the other services. Uh, It's real simple. The main character in the uh, TV show is a guy by the name of Gary. And it's set in the city of Chicago. And every morning at 6.30 a.m., Gary receives a newspaper from a cat. C-A-T, kitty, 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 cat. He gets the newspaper from a cat. Listen to me. He should kick that cat. Amen. I'm talking about kick it from here to New York. Just kick it. I did it in all the other services, and I did it in this one, too. I just made all the cat lovers angry right there. Amen. All the cat lovers. And that's dangerous. I mean, that's just dangerous stuff. There's going to Afghanistan, and then there's missing with the cat lovers. Amen. You just, I mean, because you do know that there are psychos, and then there are cat-loving psychos. You know that, don't you? Because I just said, I just said, kick the cat, and all you psycho cat lovers, man, you could, you wanted to try to hold it in, but you couldn't. It just comes out. You can't help it. You're a psycho cat lover. The moment I said, kick the cat, you were like, ha. Then you got a crazy psycho on me. You're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. preacher, you did say kick the cat. <laughs> I saw the car that you came in on, preacher, and I'm going to put a bomb in your car. Go ahead. Put a bomb in my car. I'll take a cat in there with me. Boom. Amen. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just not into the cat thing, man. I'm sorry. Just don't like cats. All dogs go to heaven. All cats go to anyways. Amen. I'm just, I'm just not into it. I'm just sorry. I'm kind of a dog lover guy, man. But I, listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Some of y'all are crazy. Y'all looking at me like that just ain't funny right there. That ain't funny. Messing with those cats. Y'all like, don't talk. Don't mess with my cat. Don't mess. Listen, it's satire. I'm just making a little joke. And, and I'm not going to hurt the cat. I'm not advocating kicking kitty, 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 kitties. Let's, let's not do that. But I do advocate that guy getting rid of the cat. Shoo it. Scare it away. Adopt the stinking thing out. Just do so. Get rid of the cat. You say, preacher, why are you so adamant about Gary getting rid of the cat? Here's why. Because of the newspaper it brings him. It's not a normal paper. You see, the newspaper that the cat brings him contains within it The news of the day before it ever happens. Hence, it's called the early edition. And usually, the headlines are devastating. Five people die in a bank robbery. It's going to happen at 3.30 in the afternoon. It's 6.30 a.m. Gary is now privy to that information. So now Gary lives his life to intersect those moments to change a devastating headline. Five people die to a delightful headline, bank robbery stopped. Early edition. Do you know that television program had absolutely no trouble getting sponsorships and ratings? It did really well for several seasons. When it was finished, 
Fox family picked it up, did a syndicated deal of it. And then some investors uh, invested in a, a, like a DVD series of the first full season, made a lot of money on that. And even today, you can go to the Sci-Fi Channel or the Gospel Music Channel, and you can watch reruns of early edition. But listen to me carefully. Are you leaning, leaning in? Let me tell you something about the show. Are you listening? It's fiction. <laughs> Somebody's going, Gary. Not real? <laughs> we, know, we know he's not real. It's just made-up television. I mean, it's just entertainment. It's not real at all. It's, we know it's just fiction. It's just something made up for people's entertainment. And, and besides that, you can't get the news before it ever actually really happens. Nobody can get the news before it ever actually really happens. See, that's preposterous. It's crazy to think that you can get the news before it ever actually really happens. Or, or is it? Because listen to me, I'm about to bust some science on you about the supernatural spiritual phenomenon that was going on 2,000 years ago that is actually going on right now as I'm preaching God's word. Are you listening? Listen, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Are you listening? This is God's early edition. This is news before it ever happens. This is a real event about real people that really stand before God, a real God, on a real judgment day, and they really don't make it. Think about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is closed in the Sermon on the Mount. He's seeing into the future, and he sees that this moment is going to happen to a lot of people. And all of a sudden, he decides to let all of those people in on it. And through the canonization of Scripture, he's decided to let all of us in on it. He, he let them all in on it. Why did he do that? Why did the God of the universe let everybody in on this moment? Was there something vindictive about it? Was he looking out at that massive crowd thinking, you know what? You're the punks that are going to crucify me. Let me tell you what you got coming. Was that it? I can't believe that for a second. Not whenever you take in the full story of Jesus. I think if we were able to take a time machine and go back to that day, I think that we would see Jesus standing there in that moment with his arms stretched out open wide. I think that we would see his body literally shaking. I think that we would see his lips quivering. I think that we would see tears just drenching his face because he wants to wrap his arms around that whole crowd. And he's telling them that this moment is going to happen because he doesn't want it to happen to any of them, nor does he want it to happen to any of us. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want it to happen to anybody. But you know what the great tragedy is? It's going to happen to a lot of people. The Bible makes it real clear. There's a broad road that leads to destruction and many will be on it. And there's a narrow road that leads to life and few will be on that. I don't know how many people it's going to happen to. But as I've crisscrossed this country and have the privilege to have preached to, I don't know, millions of people and packed out arenas all over America and churches, grand mega churches and little tiny churches of 10 people. I, I, I've learned a lot. And let me tell you one of the things, I've, I got a lot to learn, but I did learn this. I don't know how many people this is going to happen to, but I do know this. I don't know of anybody that wants this to happen to them. Zero. I've yet to meet the first person that said, you know what? I'd like to be somebody that's involved in spiritual things. I'd like to be involved in the church. I'd, I'd like to be a person that prays from time to time. I'd like, I'd like to have a certain type of relationship with God. I'd love to stand before him on judgment day and not make it. Nobody. Instead, what I do mean 
There's a lot of people that want to make sure that this doesn't happen to them. And how can we make sure it doesn't? It's real simple. I know that we have ways of complicating it, but it's real simple. Sir, ma'am, you don't want this to happen to you? Then listen carefully. You just got to make sure you've got a proper belief in Jesus. A proper belief in Jesus. CNN did a poll not too long ago in America, called a bunch of Americans up and said, hey, do you believe in Jesus? 80% of Americans said, yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's okay, that's cool, but do they have a proper belief in Jesus? See, believing is key. I mean, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the Bible also says by the half-brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 2, verse 19, even the demons believe, but they tremble. So what does it mean to properly believe in Jesus? I want us to engage in a little exercise that I think will help us in ascertaining whether or not we've properly believed in Jesus. And why does it matter? Because if you don't, you don't make it. And nobody wants to miss it. Everybody wants to make it. Here's a little exercise. I, our media team, if you would, place these verses of Scripture up on the, on the screen. I, I'd like for you guys to do something with me. I'm going to share with you, and I'd, I'd like for you to follow along with me silently as I read out loud a set of Scriptures, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Before we read them, let me tell you who wrote them. You probably already know this. I don't mean to belittle you, but I just mean to highlight the significance of, you know, the, the meaning behind them, the, the drive behind them. A man by the name of uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these uh, words, and he pinned them to the church at Rome. Uh, he had a belief in Jesus, uh, but it was an improper belief in Jesus. And then one day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, he met God. He encountered God. And he went from having religion to having a relationship with Jesus. He met him, and Jesus radically changed his life. From that moment on, he started teaching what it really meant to believe in Jesus. And the great church at large did not like him doing this. Religion did not like him teaching this method of believing. And they told him to stop, and he wouldn't stop. He kept doing it, and finally, they took his head off. And he never would recant from teaching this. He would rather give his life. I think it lends a little credibility into us leaning into these verses just for a moment. And besides that, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. I'd like for you to follow along with me silently as I read out loud these verses that basically are a zenith set of scriptures as it relates to the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And listen to them carefully. Follow along with me silently as I read out loud. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, see there's the word believe. You see, believe is the icon that you must click and drag the mouse of your heart on if you want to go online with God forever in heaven. Do you see it? Believing is breaking the code. It's right there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your head that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Follow along with me. For with the head, one believes on the righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Amen? Amen? <laughs> murmur, 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 murmur. Actually got something this service that I didn't get the other service advance. I had someone go, eh. 
<laughs> like, no, preacher, you're wrong. You're wrong, preacher. And you caught that. You're like looking at that thing going, time out, preacher. You said head, it says heart. You said head, it says heart. You said head, preacher, it says heart. You see, intellectually, that didn't pass anybody by. You caught that if you were following along like the preacher asked you to do. That's one of the reasons why people ought to pay attention because it matters. You caught that intellectually. It didn't pass anybody by. You caught that. But on that key crucible, listen, people are going to miss it spiritually. Only believing in their head and not believing in their heart. The people in this story, they believed in their head. They didn't have it in their heart. Why? Because we should never put a question mark when God puts a period in the Bible. And if they believed in their heart, then they would have been saved. But they weren't. Why? Because they didn't have it in their heart. But they had a form of belief. And the form of belief that they had was just one of intellectualism. They just kind of had it in their head. They, they knew about the power of God. They knew about the name of Jesus. They, they knew it, but they didn't have it in their heart. That's the danger that we have. We've got to make sure that we don't have this thing just stuck in our head, but that we've got it in our heart. Because if you don't get it in your heart, you don't make it. You know what? But it's on that point that as I have the privilege of ministering to just so many different people, having traveled across the country and doing a lot of follow-up to help people follow through and with their decisions for Jesus uh, uh, from state to state, uh, I, 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 I've had people that, they, they get real transparent and real honest with me about this particular practice, this particular point, this particular discipline. And you know what people will do? They'll be real honest, and, and, and maybe you'll say the same thing. Maybe, maybe it's the same way with you, and they'll go, you know what? That's very hard for me to get a grip on, preacher. Do I have it in my heart, or is it just stuck in my head? A lot of people have a hard time compartmentalizing that, uh, dichotomizing between the two beliefs. And one man communicated his frustration to me and he said, man, Tony, I, it's so difficult. I, I, I wish that God would have made me where I had like a door on my chest and on my forehead. He said, then I would be able to just stand in front of a mirror. I would be able to open up that door, look into the mirror on my forehead I'd look inside that mirror and I'd be able to go, well, look at there. My wife is wrong. I do have a brain. He said, no, I'd be able to look inside there and I'd be able to look in there and see belief. And I'd go, okay, I've got belief in my head. Let's close that up. Now let's open up the chest cavity. Oh, kind of gross, but I see right there by that valve in my heart. I've got belief in my heart. Close it up. Case closed. Done deal. But we're not afforded that privilege with our anatomy, are we? But listen to me. We can know. There's a way that you can know whether or not you're of those people that just simply believe in your head or have you believed in your heart. How? What does it look like for it to move from your head to your heart? What does that look like? A story about a crowd, a tightrope, and a waterfall could help us out. Listen to it carefully. In 1859, true story, 1859, a man by the name of Jean Fresios Gravelet, otherwise known as the Great Blondini, this man stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. You're familiar with that great icon of tourism. It's a massive waterfall just north of Tonawanda, New York. It's dumping 1,950,000 gallons per second over the edge. That's raging water. This crazy maniac 
stretched a tightrope across it, 330 feet across it, 130 feet above it. And I'm not talking about the guy that just recently did it. I'm talking about 1859. People have been crazy a long time. Amen. This man stretched that tightrope across it, invited a great group of people to come and watch him. And he got up on that tightrope and he grabbed a wheelbarrow. You know what a wheelbarrow is? One big bucket, one wheel, two handles. He put that wheelbarrow on that tightrope and he walked across Niagara Falls and he made it all the way over to the other side. It's a true story. You can go to the Niagara Falls website, click the icon on it that says daredevils, which I think should be more appropriately called boneheads, and you can read the story. He made it all the way over to the other side and everybody went nuts. Well, that wasn't enough. He put that wheelbarrow back on the tightrope and he walked across Niagara Falls again. Two times he made it all the way over to the other side. The crowd is going nuts. I mean, husbands are slapping their wives going, this guy is awesome. I mean, this is incredible. Are you kidding me? This is entertainment. He grabbed that wheelbarrow, put it back on that tightrope. He was about to walk across again for the third time. He looked out at that enormous crowd and he said, hey, do you guys believe that I can do it again? Do you believe it? And they knew that he could do it. They saw him do it twice. They knew he could do it. So they all started screaming, yes, yes, we believe. We believe, yes, 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 we believe, yes. It was a big old roar of yes, yes. And the great Blondini was shaking his arms, trying to get him to quiet down because he had something to say. But they're just going, yes, we believe, yes, yes. And he's going, shh, quiet, shh. And finally, finally, after he waved his arms for so long, Finally, a hush, a hush dominoed across the crowd from the front to the back. And when they finally got quiet enough to hear him, the great Blondini looked out at that crowd that was just roaring, yes, we believe. And he said, okay, okay. He said, the person who really believes, get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) You might look at me like... So, what does that prove? Everything. Everything. That one proposition separates the crowd. From the people that just say they believe with their lips, from the people that show they believe with their life. And do you understand that that's the great call of Jesus, to believe in him? Do you understand that that's what it is? Do you understand, listen, the real historical Christ, our calendars are marked by this man's existence. He really existed. He claimed to be God. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross. They butchered him on that cross. He poured out his blood. He died, was buried, and he rose again. Why did he do that? Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Humanity has broken the law of God. We're lawbreakers. There is nobody in this room that can stand up and say, you've never broken a commandment of God. We would like to, but we can't. I'd like to, but I can't. I have to tell you, I've almost broken all of them. We've broken the law of God. This room is filled with sinners. And you might look at me and say, you know what? You're right. I have done wrong. I can confess that. I can be transparent. But so what? Big deal. So I've done wrong. I would agree with you, sir except that Romans 6, 23 makes it a colossal deal. It says the wages of sin is death. It's no foreign idea to you, is it, that if you break the law, you pay? It's no different with God. 
We've broken his law. There's a penalty. There's a payment. It's death. That death is speaking of eternity separated from God and a place called hell forever. A burning lake of fire forever. And that's horrifying. But that verse isn't finished because it says the wages of sin is death. But good news, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why did he do all of it? Because he wants to offer the world salvation. He wants to offer the world forgiveness and mercy. Do do you understand, listen, that Jesus Christ is standing on the razor thin line of the coming force of the wrath of Almighty God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that one day God is going to pour his wrath out on this earth? I know he's a kind God. I know he's merciful and he's gracious. But listen to me. Listen, God's not playing. God's not playing. When when we've sinned against God and God said he's going to pour out his judgment, it's really going to happen. Read the book of, of, of Peter. It talks about God coming in his wrath and all of the universe is going to melt with a fervent heat. Uh, the book of Revelation, I, I can't hardly read that book without the light on. I mean, it freaks me out. I mean, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. When you read that and you see that God's going to pour out his judgment bowls, and he's going to pour out his wrath on this earth, man, that is, that is horrifying. But, 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 listen, Jesus is standing there on the razor-thin line of the coming force of the wrath of Almighty God. And he's looking out at the whole world with his arms stretched out, nail-scarred hands, and he says to the whole world, do you believe that I can safely carry you over to the other side? Do you believe that I can save you from the force of the wrath of Almighty God? Do you believe, you know what we do? We go to church, maybe Easter, Christmas, or maybe we go to church because somebody invites us to come and we like, get off my back. And when, we, when we're there, we're going, you know what? Yes, I believe. Sometimes we pray over our meals, and when we pray over our meals, you know, just a little bitty short prayer, and we're definitely not going to do it if somebody's looking at a restaurant, but, you know, we do it because we're, we're saying, you know what, yeah, yes, I believe. And, and there are times when, when we're in church, and maybe, you know, there's an offering plate that comes by, and we kind of reach in, and we put a little something, something in it, we're going, yes, I, I, I believe, yes, I believe. Our, our CNN calls you up and says, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And we go, yes, I believe. But you know what's happening in America, especially with all of the pluralism, there's like this big giant religious roar that's deafening the ears of omnipotence. And I think that the God of the universe is waving his arms, especially over America. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you, shh, if you really believe, then get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, well, time out, Tony. I've heard about the cross. I've heard about the empty tomb. I've heard about the, you know, the the crown of thorns. But I haven't heard about a wheelbarrow. What 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 are you talking about? It's a physical story illustrating a spiritual point. Physically, all someone needed to do to prove to the great Blondini that they really believed was to get out of the crowd, climb up that ladder, crawl in the wheelbarrow, sit real still, and put their faith and trust in the great Blondini and his ability to carry them over to the other side. What's the spiritual equivalent for you and I? Jesus, with no mitigated speech, said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and Luke chapter 13, verse 5, I tell you, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. What is Repentance. Repentance is that moment that you put your belief in action. Repentance is that moment when all of this stuff that you've got in your head that you've been exposed to about God, 
Repentance is that moment when all of this stuff that you've got in your head, you stop doing the math on this thing and you start doing the faith on it and you step out and abandon yourself and surrender your life to Jesus Christ as the boss, the leader, the ruler, the CEO, the Lord of your life. Listen, and if that doesn't happen, you don't make it. You don't make it. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen to you. That's why he's giving you this early edition today. Because he doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to make it. I get asked a lot, why am I so passionate when I'm preaching? There are some people that come and watch me, especially when I do like four services in, in a morning time and then an evening service or five services a day. And they watch me do the first one. They watch me do the last one. They're like, you never lost your intensity. What, are you on Red Bull? <laughs> No, no, I'm not. I'm not on any bull. I'm on a lamb. I, I met Jesus. He's, he's in me. And, and here, here's why I'm passionate. This is, this is why. Be, because listen, this is not a game. And I want you to listen. Why am I so serious? Why am I so passionate? Look at me. Because sir, ma'am, you're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, I know we don't like to talk about it. It's, it's not the email that we get and go, oh, I want to click and drag on the death email. We dump that straight in the trash. We don't, we don't want that one. I know we don't like to deal with it. And, and as a matter of fact, whenever I bring it up, a lot of people get upset with me. They'll, they'll write me. They'll email me because I go preach in these big arenas. And there's all kinds of people that go there. And they'll write me. My daughter will tell you I get them all the time. And I, I take time to help these people. But they, they attack me. And they'll say, oh, man, that's very manipulative of you, preacher to stand up there and talk about death. You know, that's just manipulative. Our Christianity is much more vogue than that today. And I understand that there are preachers in the past that have yielded that over people and pounced it on the people. But I don't come to you with the message of death, pounded it on you. I come to you with it, with a broken heart. I come to you because when I got saved, listen, before I got saved, I told you my story. I didn't care about anybody else but me. My survival, me making it. I got hurt so much. I, 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 I deserve something. Well, when I got saved, God took me off the radar. You know what he did? He put a radar inside my heart. And the only thing, the, the biggest thing that's on that radar, the biggest blip that's on that radar now is this. Everywhere I go, I see people that are dying. And I'm preoccupied. Listen, I am haunted, haunted with the thought. How long she got? How long does he have? A year? A month? Five years? I, I, can't, I can't get it off. I, I've talked in counsel with folks and said, do I need to go see a psychiatrist? Do I need, what, do, what do I need to do? Why, this is driving me insane. And they say, no, that's the calling and that's the burden that you must bear until you breathe your last breath. You don't have a choice. God's called you. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Why? Because God wants you to go and he wants you to share because really people are dying. Their life is a vapor. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. And I get the emails by the thousands. I save them. They're in my, they're in my save box under stories. People just like you and they email me and they say, Tony, pray. Pray. Preachers get them all the time. Preacher, pray. Preacher, my friends went to a midnight showing of Batman and somebody snuck in in Colorado in the back exit door and blew him away. My friends are gone. They never saw it coming. They were going to a movie. Pray, preacher. My daddy went to work in the Twin Towers. 
September the 11th. An airplane hit. Never saw it coming. He's gone. Preacher, pray. My dad was going to work, and a semi-truck ran right over him. His little truck, got, he, he got killed. They're real stories. They're real people. My friend John Wellborn wrote me. He said, Tony, I want you to pray for family. I said, I, I'll do it. He said, you just preached at our camp two weeks ago, and there was a boy named Caleb that got in the wheelbarrow. I said, hallelujah. He said his life was changed. I mean, this is, he got born again. He got saved. This, it was an awesome deal. I'm like, yeah, glory to God. He said, well, we'll, we'll pray because the second day of school, he was walking to the bus stop, and he got run over by somebody who was texting, and he's gone. I, I preached, and he didn't have two weeks. I was in Tampa, preached at the Sundome. 15,000 people. We had 2,500 people give their hearts and lives to Jesus that night. It was a phenomenal move of God. I was choking on his presence. I was scared to death to even be in that Sundome. If you've ever seen when God really shows up, it, it'll freak you out. And I'll never forget going into the bus that night, and I, I went to sleep, and the, and the next day I got the horrible news. There were three students, Ashley, Alex, and Brandon. They left that concert that night, got into their car, just like you guys are going to do whenever you get in your cars and you leave this place tonight. They just got in their vehicles and they were going to go eat somewhere, just like many of us have done countless times. And when they pulled out onto the highway to go to Sonic, a massive semi-truck didn't see them and ran right over them. They went underneath the rig of that truck and the trailer of that truck, went flying up in the air, bounced on the ground, their car did. Their friends pulled up behind them. They were caravanning, and they watched them take their last breath. They heard me preach, and they only had two more hours. That burdens me. This is as real as it gets. This is it. You're going to die one day. And the God of the universe has given us an early edition. Why? Because, sir, ma'am, if you were to have died before this moment, you would have missed it. He didn't want you to. So he had us open up his blessed sacred word to share this early edition. Why? Because he wants you to change a devastating headline to a delightful one. He wants you to believe. He wants you to get in the wheelbarrow. When? Now. Tonight. And everything changes. Just like it has for 50-something people today already. So with Tony, I hear you. I get it. What do I do? What does it look like practically in this moment right now? What does it look like? What, what's my step of belief? What does it look like? Remember what the Apostle Paul said, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. I can lead you right now in a time of confessing with your mouth. I can lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. Prayers don't save anybody. Jesus saves. But we shouldn't belittle prayer. Because the Apostle Paul, who gave his head for Christianity, he said, with, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's an exercise of faith. You see, prayer is the language of the soul to God. You cannot email God, you can't call God on your cell phone, and you can't text message God. But he did text us. And through the text of Scripture, he said, 
whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've heard it. He's working. You see it about believing, getting in the wheelbarrow. He's convicted you that you haven't. He's convicted you that you're not in that wheelbarrow. You've been saying a lot with your lips. Now it's time to surrender your life. And I want to invite you to do something in this moment with me. I want all of us here to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us to get in a posture, a reverent posture of worship with our heads bowed and eyes closed in an attitude of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to talk to you. There are those of you that are here that I mentioned God is convicting you about being in that wheelbarrow. Some of you have made a pray, maybe have prayed some kind of prayer before in your life, but what's the acid test? Can you look back at your life in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, true about you? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Has there been a change in your life? And the change, again, isn't just about what you stop doing. It's about what you start becoming. When you meet God, you start becoming a lover of God. When you're in the wheelbarrow, you become preoccupied, not with everything that you can do to get over to the other side, but just gazing into the face of the one who is carrying you over to the other side. You become a lover of God. And that shows up in your life. It shows up in the way that you, you handle your marriage. It shows up in the way that you handle your, your finances. It shows up in the way that you surf on the internet. It shows up in the way that you conduct yourself with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's when, when you really get in the wheelbarrow, you're born again, you're converted, you're changed, you're transformed. And, and listen, when divinity takes up residence inside of you, it bursts out of you and there's a difference in your life. My vocabulary changed. I stopped the drugs. I, I, I started getting a Bible and I started consuming it. I, I started caring about others. There's a change. See, if there's no change, then there's no Christ. And in this moment, God wants to invite you into that wheelbarrow by praying and calling on him. Some of you have prayed before in your life and you've had a moment. You can look back at it. There's no need for you to pray this prayer with me because you can look back at your life and there's been a change. As a matter of fact, whenever a message like this is preached, you have this calming assurance that you've done what God told you to do and now you're just trusting him that he's going to do what he said he'd do. And you have peace. But there's others and you have an incredible restlessness. Don't push back on that restlessness. I've learned that in more cases than not, that it's the Holy Spirit of God that's causing that restlessness. Because no man can come into the Father unless the Father draws him. Listen to that restlessness. And tonight, come to Jesus, who said, he won't cast you out. And if you come to him, he'll give you peace. How do I do that, Tony? Right now in this moment, I can lead you in a prayer. You can repeat it after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it in a whisper. You can say it in the silence of your mind. And God will save you. Here's the prayer. Mean it with all of your heart. Dear God, that's it. Just repeat it after me and mean it. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. God, thank you 
for this warning, for this early edition. I receive it. In Jesus, I believe that your God sinless son, you took my place on the cross for my sins, poured out your blood and died. You were buried and you rose again. And that's proof that you're Lord. I line my life up with that. I surrender to you. Be my ruler, my boss, my leader, my Lord. And from this moment on, as I sit in your finished work of the cross, may I live a life that says, thank you for making a way to save me from the wrath to come.